Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. What's up, Minnesota? It's Jason Webb. I got a little different uh, type of podcast today. I'm not interviewing a business leader. However, I am interviewing the Matt Zeller, the executive director for Concrete Paving Association of Minnesota. Now, that's a mouthful. How are you doing, Matt? Good. Really good, well. Good, good. And I'm out in White Bear Lake right now. Uh, before the podcast, we're talking on hockey. And uh, Matt's son, who is a grown man by now, played hockey all his life, and so did Matt. And Matt uh, coached some hockey, a lot of hockey, throughout uh, his son's career as a hockey player. So uh, he was giving me some skating tips for my my youngsters, uh, Tyson and Jackson, who are eight and nine, the last year of mites, and how to improve their skating. So uh, we got that bond, don't we, Matt? Yeah. yeah. Again, hockey uh, brings a lot of people together. Yeah, especially in Minnesota. It's a it's a serious. Uh, it's a it's a serious game, you know. I think back to playing sports in high school. I, I, you know, football was my main sport, and uh, I wasn't lucky enough to play hockey. Uh, that was kind of, you know, back then it seemed like it was kind of reserved for the rich kids. It was uh, you didn't get your your skates and your pads and your helmets issued through the uh, school athletic program. You actually had to go out and buy that stuff and pay for your practices and so on. But it's been a lot of fun. Hockey, it's 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 a commitment for sure, both financially and time. But my boys love it. My theory on it is, I don't care what it is that they want to get involved with, as long as it's something. And if hockey's not it, fine, let's try something else. And uh, you share that, I don't know, a little discouragement in the fact that it seems like hockey is an all-year sport nowadays and they got to commit to it at a young age and uh, or else they kind of get left behind in the skills and but then you're fighting that whole burnout thing and it's a tough game of balance to play you know what i mean right again you know i you know let's say my son's 26 and i never wanted them to to spend that much time. I, I played, like I said, I grew up, but we had to play outdoors. My, yeah. We had to stand in the snow banks to play and practices <laughs> were outside. Some games were outside. We didn't get indoor ice until I was in middle school. But I, I, again, all of the, the my friends grew up playing hockey. Some of them played division one. Some of them played college hockey or uh, pro hockey even. Wow. And even then, they all did other sports. Um, I, I think it makes a more well-rounded person to get out and do something different. Yeah, yeah, I agree. A quick message from our sponsors. This podcast was brought to you by Minnesota Risk Partners, specializing in risk management and insurance services for Minnesota-based companies. Check them out at minnesotariskpartners.com. All right, so the Concrete Paving Association of Minnesota. What's this all about, Matt? What's what's give me some uh, some background here? What the association is involved in? What the purpose of it is, uh, and the benefits to the members? Sure. Well, we were formed in 1959. We are one of the oldest concrete paving associations in the country. Neighboring states, Wisconsin, Iowa, have paving associations. North South Dakota, actually, they're in most of the states around the country. There's also a national association called the American Concrete Pavement Association. Again, a lot of those were 
they haven't been around as long as us. Okay. Iowa has been, Wisconsin's close, um, or a little older. We're all in the same vintage, but we all work for the contractors, the betterment of, of concrete pavements. So most of our members are the larger contractors who build the freeways or the highways. We also have uh, members who supply cement, who supply steel, who supply aggregates. Um, many of the ready-mix suppliers are members because they still supply concrete for some of our smaller jobs or even fill-in work on the larger jobs. Mm. So again, we work with the DOT, with the counties, with the consultants, with the cities sometimes to help design concrete and do it right. Anybody can go mix concrete. They mm. can get some cement and mix some rock and sand together and throw it down and call it concrete. Right. And But that doesn't mean that it's going to be good concrete. I mean, we, we try and build the best concrete that we can possibly. We have some pictures out in the office there that show a concrete city street up in Duluth that was built in 1910 wow. or 1907, excuse me. Been around a while. Yeah, and yeah. it's still in use. Wow. And it has stamped, it's concrete that's stamped to make it look like brick. Mm. And it was at the transition of horses to cars. And the reason they stamped it was to give it traction for the horses and the cars. Okay. But it's still in place. So it's 110 plus years old and it's still going strong. So if we build the concrete right, it'll last for decades or centuries. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to build out in the freeways. I mean, we had some periods, especially in the 70s and 80s, where durability, the idea of building a quality product kind of slipped. Hmm. And so as an association now, we are trying to build the best pavements we can. And we have specifications out there to require these guys to, to build a, a stout pavement that's going to last for. Hopefully, you know, if we design it for 35 years, we should get 60 to 75 out of it. Wow. Yeah. So I don't have a whole lot of experience personally with concrete. I've heard the joke that if you don't choose concrete, it's your own asphalt. Yes. Right? <laughs> Actually, I think there was a billboard up along the side of the freeway uh, at one point that, that said something about that. <laughs> I did buy a house uh, several years ago that had an asphalt driveway and it was full of holes and terrible. And I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm sure the backfield that they dug out of the ground and kind of threw it there wasn't done right, but it was a mess. So I, uh, I, I liked the kind of low maintenance and the look of concrete. So I invested the extra money and, you know, I had the excavator come out and dig out all the, the crappy backfill and, and do it right and put down a new concrete driveway and uh, never had an issue, never once. And uh, I loved it. And when I drive around and see, you know, potholes and people's driveways and such, I know you don't deal with driveways, but uh, it just makes me think that people should spend that extra money and do it right. And is that true also with roads? You know, is does a concrete road tend to last quite a long longer than an asphalt road with less less maintenance? Yeah, that's typical. That's how most people look at it is the concrete's going to be built a little more stout, probably a little thicker, um, but it's more durable. It yeah. lasts longer. The asphalt actually breaks down in the sun. It oxidizes. So if you look at a driveway or a city street, 
you'll see a lot of the rock exposed. Mm-hmm. And then what the reason is, is the sun beats down on that and it oxidizes the oil in there and the asphalt so it, it washes away or gets up into the atmosphere. Sure. So it exposes that rock. And that's why every so often, you know, cities like to do about every seven, eight years, they like to put steel coats on their asphalt. Mm. And so that's a maintenance thing that we don't have to do with our concrete. It doesn't break down in the sun. Concrete actually gets stronger every day. It will never stop gaining strength. As long as there's water available, it's going to gain strength. Yeah. And so, like I said about those roads up in Duluth, I mean, they're, they're, they're stout because they were built right to begin with. So as long as we build the road right to begin with, you should easily get, you know, 50 plus years out of it with minimal maintenance. And and again, Minnesota is one of the leaders in the country as far as it comes to maintaining concrete city streets and highways. Uh, there's neighborhoods, a few neighborhoods out in Minneapolis. Um, I think the city of Minneapolis has 150 miles of concrete city streets. Mm. And most of those are in neighborhoods in the north Minneapolis, northeast Minneapolis. And they're built in the 50s. Okay. And just now, we're out there for the last, you know, they're on their third project. We, they do neighborhoods. They go out and they fix the concrete in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So they don't tear it out. They just go out and they, they, own, they, they mill out the bad spots or they cut it out and replace it. Okay. And then they diamond grind it to make it smooth at the end. So these roads are 50, 60 years old. They're only five or six inches thick because they're city streets. They don't carry a lot of trucks. And they're being fixed for the first time. Mm. And so when you break down that cost of how much that's going to cost them, they'll get another 20-plus years out of that. So say they're going to get 70 to 80 years on that initial investment. That's a heck of a return on their investment. And how does that compare to regular asphalt? Again, you know, asphalt's a good material. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's a different, it's called a flexible, concrete's called rigid pavement, asphalt's called flexible. Yeah. So they carry the loads different ways. Concrete can be built on lower quality foundations, on lower quality materials. Up in the Red River Valley in East Grand Forks, Grand Forks, Fargo, Moorhead, they build a lot of concrete on top of that horrible clays they have in the Red River Valley. Mm. And they just put it right on top of the clays. And as long as it's uniformly supported, the concrete will work fine. Yeah. So we don't need to have these really deep, strong bases. Asphalt, on the other hand, needs a base to help carry, a really stout base to help carry the, those roads. Sure. Otherwise, they, you know, they could get thicker asphalt, but again, it's still going to bend and flex a little bit. So right. concrete, again, generally in the long run is going to give you a longer, better return. Yeah. Now, prior to becoming the executive director at the association here, you, you worked with uh, DOT? Yeah. Yeah. And you were involved in that project on 94 that I drove by plenty of times as a young man where there was like a, a test road or test strips in which you're testing, I don't know, different mixes, different materials, different... What were you guys testing over there? So that's it's that, that locations, yeah, it's up there, what, just past Albertville? Yeah, um, past right. the mall, yep. and it's called Min Road, and it was going to be the Minnesota Cold Weather Research something or other before I got to Min Road. They had the long name for it, but <laughs> when I came to MnDOT in the early 90s, it was called Min Road, and I happened to be there right as we were building Min Road, and I saw lots of 
you know, a lot of people will say that things were successful or are successful at Minroad because, well, it's really, it's a small project with really high quality. That's not the case. When you do a small project and you're only building a 500-foot-long section, Mm -hmm. you don't get a chance to get in a rhythm to build something. And so plenty of... There's plenty of flaws out there, but it's a really cool section. I think it's uh, three and a half miles of mainline freeway that runs parallel to the old 94. So what the idea is, there's a lot of trucks there, a lot of traffic there. So we can run the trucks and regular traffic on there for three weeks out of the month. And then the fourth week, they put traffic back on old 94, on the old westbound 94. Mm-hmm. And then the, the researchers go out and take readings. They look at it. They see if things have cracked, if things have settled, if things have moved, what's changed. They have sensors. Of, I mean, the MnDOT people and what they've learned and how they install sensors is amazing. I mean, there's all sorts of computer sensors in that road. Huh. It, it's, it you know measures stresses and strains and movement and temperature. What's the temperature when it's five inches below the surface? What's the temperature 12 inches below the surface? What's the temperature two feet below the surface. Hmm. They measure how deep the frost goes, how hot it gets in the summer. So all sorts of things out there on, on the main line. And within there, we built probably 20 different types of concrete and about the same of asphalt. So we had five-year and 10-year concrete cells and asphalt cells. And the idea was, okay, well, how are these, you know, these are designed for 10 years. What can we learn? These are designed for five years. And we're 30 years into it, and we still have sections of our five- and ten-year concrete out there in place. Are people still driving on that section? Oh, yeah. 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 So, and again, over the years, as sections fail, MnDOT identifies these sections and say, okay, we're going to pull out quarter mile. Okay. So, let's put four new test sections in. What do you guys have in mind? Oh, and so this so, is ongoing. Yeah, it's ongoing. So every few years we get a bigger opportunity to go back out there and reconstruct. Sometimes we just go out and we rehabilitate things. We go out mm-hmm. and we we fix things. The asphalt industry, they've had they got a partnership with uh, folks. They're down in Texas. But again, national national asphalt folks come up here and test it. Oh, okay. See how things work in cold weather versus hot weather. And so I, again, on the concrete side, it's been a playground for me. Yeah. Um, the other thing they have there is that those were the mainline sections. They also have a loop. It's a closed loop. It's called the low-volume loop. And within that, that's closed to traffic. Okay. And the only traffic that sees is the researchers driving around in their, in their pickup trucks or their cars. But MnDOT has an 80,000-pound truck, so a legally maximum legally loaded truck they drive in circles all day long. <laughs> How would you like that job? Yeah, it would <laughs> <laughs> it would be a crazy job to have. For a while there, they, they were working with 3M to automate it oh, okay. and let it drive in circles. They were going to have a driver sit in the passenger seat yeah. just in case, but they weren't ready for that. It wasn't ready for prime time. So the guy still drives in circles. He gets about 80 laps a day in. Okay. So again, in a single day or in a year, the, um, that gets probably more loads, more weight than a city street would get in its design Okay. Life, so a twenty-year design for a city street, and so we again, it's really accelerated loading out there. So yeah, it's a great playground. So, so as a association member, is somebody within your office kind of 
keeping abreast on what's happening out there in relaying that information to the the members of the association. It's almost like I see it almost like a, a, a R and D research and development facility that's living and breathing and uh, determining. What uh, I think you mentioned earlier, what mix of water versus cement is is working the best or the different uh, support systems on those roads and are members benefiting from that, from the knowledge that's gained from there? I, again, I think the members benefit. I mean, our, our job is to always, we're trying to find opportunities to build, you know, more concrete pavement. So we work with the cities, the counties, the DOTs, like I said, the sure. consultants. Okay, hey, you know, this this 10-mile stretch of, of Highway 59 would be a great opportunity for concrete. Well, yeah, but concrete costs too much. Mm-hmm. So it's our job to explain to them, well, in the long run, concrete will cost you less money. Right. Um, so again, at Minroad, what we got to do is we get to try all sorts of things. So with as far as the association goes, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm that guy that needs to stay abreast of what's going on in the, mm. as far as the research goes. Yeah. I have to stay in tune with what's going on around the country as well as what's going on around here, what MnDOT likes, what the public likes. I mean, one of the very common things that we've used in concrete has been a waste product for decades. It's fly ash from the coal-burning power plants. Mm. And in the beginning, that was just a waste product being thrown in concrete. Well, we found out from research that this Adding the fly ash to the concrete, especially when you get into replacing about 25 to 33 percent of your cement with fly ash, it really makes the concrete more durable too. Hmm. So not only do we get rid of a waste product, we're making our concrete more durable. Yeah, and and cost less. Probably. It costs less. Yeah, because yeah, again, it was a throwaway material. Yeah. But now we're not going to be able to burn in coal anymore. I mean, in the near future. You know, we're already seeing the reduction of of coal plants. They're being converted to natural gas. Um, So maybe in 10, 15 years, we won't have fly ash anymore. Mm. So what do we do? How do we we make make sure our concrete still is durable? So we'll be able to take things that we hear from researchers and try them out at Minroad and see how it works. Okay. Um, So again, the beauty of Minroad is we can go fail. Yeah. And we have some place to go. I mean... The hard thing for people to accept is is failure. Mm. But as long as you learn from failure, yeah. that's good. Like we were talking about the kids playing hockey. Yeah. I mean, you fall down. That's okay. Get up. <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean it's, I, when I was teaching the kids, I mean, I saw some of the instructors teaching the kids how to prop their stick under them to get up. I said, no, 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 no. They're kids. They'll learn. I just, I mean, you don't need your stick for that. I mean, the same thing with, I think there's a museum of failures in town somewhere. and But they're talking about all the great things that came from these failures. Oh, sure. So if you don't f- allow failure, how are you ever going to get better? Right. And so that's the beauty of Minroads. We can go out there and we can make things fail. I mean, we've built concrete. I mean, most concrete for our interstates is 8 to 12 inches thick. We've built 5-inch thick concrete out on that stretch of Minroad. Yeah. That guts interstate traffic, truck traffic, five inches thick. There's a lot of people that wouldn't build a driveway that thick. Huh. And so, I mean, we can learn a lot out there. Yeah. And, and again, MnDOT's been great to allow us to go play and try these different things. How the five inches hold up? It lasted for almost five years. Okay. So, and again, that would be probably close to... It would take you maybe 125 years to get that much traffic on the city street, oh, that wow. much truck traffic. 
Wow. Okay. So <laughs> it's a different perspective. Right? Yeah. I mean, so it's, yeah, these things, I mean, again, it, it's fun to, and then let us fail. Now, were you with DOT when the, um, uh, the, the 35, uh, 35E or 35W bridge, bridge fell? Bridge? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was, uh, just, I mean, I never followed up with it. What was discovered that was the main source uh, of, I guess, failure on the bridge? Yeah. I, again, I, I shouldn't say I was, I was not with MnDOT. I was, I was here. But okay. we were actually working, um, doing some work, either on on either end of the bridge as well as then they were they were putting a new concrete overlay on top of the bridge, and you know you hear stories from people that I guess don't know the whole story mm-hmm. or they're not good at math, but you hear stories about the the massive piles of rock and sand that were on the bridge that caused the collapse. Mm-hmm. Well, when you find out that they were, okay, those rocks, those rock and sand weighed, I think it was 300 and 400,000 pounds. Well, a, a semi truck, a legally loaded semi truck, weighs 80,000 pounds. So 400,000 pounds would be the equivalent of five yeah, legal semis. semis. Yeah. So if that was the cause, we could have had five semis stacked up side by side and brought the bridge down. Right, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I mean, but the the problem that they found was one of the gussets when they originally built it was undersized. It was designed right, but the plate they put in was the wrong size. Mm. And so, again, I you know, we had members that were out there doing the work on the concrete side yeah. and on the bridge side that, okay. you know, that were out there that day that went down with it or gotcha. next to it. So, yeah, this, that was a hard day for everybody. Yeah, tragic. Now, you mentioned one of the, uh, I think it's one of the newer things that are going on in the industry is uh, white topping. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, everybody hears of, you know, they just call the roads a black top. Yeah. You know, it's just essentially what they're saying is we're going to put a, a black cover on top of this, which is the asphalt. And so what we're doing now is more and more, and especially in the counties, and this, again, this is something we, we tested and trialed more than probably anybody in the country at Minroad, at the research facility. And what we're doing is we just take an asphalt pavement that's worn out and instead of putting a new asphalt overlay on there, we're putting a concrete overlay on. So mm-hmm. we leave the asphalt in place where we mill off a couple inches and we come back and we put down five or six inches of concrete. Mm-hmm. We have done this since two inches, but two inches was pushing our luck. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, th- to make it work, especially that thin, it can work and has worked. But the concrete and asphalt have to bond together and work as a system. Okay. But what tends to happen is that asphalt is wearing out, and just below the concrete and asphalt where they bond together, that asphalt pulls apart again. Oh. And so now you might have your two, inches, two of, inches of concrete with a half inch of asphalt stuck kind of to floating. it. floating. Yeah. 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 And so then you've got a sidewalk out there trying to carry semi-trucks and, <laughs> Don't work. and it doesn't work well. Gotcha. So then again, so I go back to my comment about the five inches that we had out there on grade mm. that carried the semis. Well, if we have a five inch thick overlay, even if it debonds, it's going to carry those loads. So based on designs, we can build it three inches, four inches thick. But as an industry, as an association, we steer people towards the five inches or more. And so they say, well, yeah, but our design says we only need four inches to get a 20-year design. I said, well, let's keep adding life to that. Mm. 
So what if we get to a 45-year design? Okay, now we got five inches. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Now you can sell, tell your commissioners, your county commissioners, that instead of building for 20 years, you're building for 45. Yeah. And again, when you start to break that cost down over 45 years, it ends up being a really, really good buy when you look at a cost per year. Can you kind of uh, outline, for my own curiosity, a typical uh, road, a freeway, from the very uh, base layer to the top, what is it all made out of, starting at the very, very bottom? Sure. There's a lot of, again, Minnesota, where where the glaciers came, and they left all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we've got hills. We you know we don't have mountains, but we have a lot of different materials here, all the rolling hills. So in areas like I mentioned, the Red River Valley is really down below your existing soils are kind of a swampy clay type material. Sure. Um, you get up north, up in the mine area. Anybody's gone camping, hiking up there, you get in that red clay. It gets mm-hmm. a little wet and slippery, and mm-hmm. you know you can fall on your butt and. Yeah, it's like being on the ice um, down south, southwest especially, um, or southeast. Excuse me, in the Rochester, you've got a lot of sand, a lot of limestone. You know, so we have different areas, and I tell people all the time if it's a good, you know, if it's a good area to grow corn, it's probably not a good area for a road. Unfortunately, we can grow corn almost everywhere in the state, so we've got some really nice soils down below the roads, but they're not the best foundations. So. We have to, a lot of times, we have to get those prepped. So before we put down any, you know, rock or sand, we're going to go in there and we're going to clean up that existing soil. So they'll go in there. In the good old days, we used to hire a local farmer to run up and down and disc up that material and get it all uniform. Because if you have a hard spot and a soft spot and a hard spot and a soft spot or an area where water's running through, it's going to soak up water, and in the wintertime, it'll freeze and swell. Mm. And then you get the bump in the road, oh, and then yeah. it'll settle when it thaws, and then it'll get a dip in the road, and then you start that cycle. And so we try and minimize that. So by getting all the subgrade soils uniform with a disc, and then you roll them out with a, with a roller, a compactor, that's a really, really good place to start. So some areas of the world, you know, you can build, you can put your concrete right on top of that clay. You could disc it, get it uniform, and build it. And it'll swell, but it'll all swell together. So the road won't get that rough. Like I said, asphalt needs um, a little more base material typically, so they may they could put some rock or sand down on top of that and then your asphalt. What we typically do, though, is after we prep that subgrade material, we'll come in with some sand and put down maybe a foot of sand for our concrete. And that's kind of a cushion layer. It's also a drainage layer. Hmm. You know, so it'll allow, allow any water to flow through. If water comes up, percolates up from the ground, it can, you know, spread out and go somewhere. Sure. Um, a lot of roads along the side of the road, they'll put in edge drains, things we learn from the farmers. Drains like they have out in the farm fields. Well, they'll put these down three, four feet on the side of the road and capture any water that gets in the roadway and then kick it out to a, a, a ditch. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, try and keep the water out of the road so, we, so it doesn't swell. Water's not the end of the world but again it's it, the more water we can keep out as long as the road's not sitting in a saturated condition it'll last longer sure and then on top of the sand they typically put you know anywhere from four to eight inches of rock so your your gravel material like you might see in a in a on a gravel road or your a gravel driveway 
Okay. And then so that, between the sand and the rock, I mean, it could be almost two feet. Yeah. Wow. And again, it's more than I guess I, I yeah, would guess. That's again, and this is where we're, when we build from new. Yeah. And it, sometimes they go four feet deep. Wow. You know, some people really, you know, they they went big with that subgrade preparation. They cut out four feet of the existing material and put sand back in there mostly, and then some rock on top of that. But the flaw in that thinking is that unless you can get your edge drains deep, for deep enough, four feet deep, five feet deep it's sometimes. It's going to sit in water. Yeah, it's not going to drain anywhere. Yeah. And that sand actually accepts water then from the surrounding clay. And unfortunately, this is the way an airport got built. I won't name the airport because there's still some people out there that, that were around when we built it. But the airport was built in the middle of a farm field. Huh. And so they cut out four feet of sand and put it in there. And I said, where do you think all this water is going to go? And so what happened is the water would get in there and freeze, and the runway and aprons were lifting by four-plus inches Mm. when it froze. And then it would settle back down. And we went out and showed them that, you know, we brought survey equipment out and surveyed it. You know, it's lifting up and down. It's not. They wanted to say we had a problem with our concrete. It's like. No, again, you guys, you you need to learn to work with Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, something I tell people all the time. So when we're building these roads from scratch, if you don't have to put this much material in that it's not from surrounding areas, it's like material, don't do it if you don't have to. Right. You know, put a, put a, you know, you know, you can put your clay down and put eight inches of rock. And that's more than enough base under our concrete. You know, the asphalt could work that way too. But again, it's just... Sometimes people get sucked into this mindset of, of more is better. <laughs> it's, oh. it's not always the case. And so then on top of that, we put our, our concrete, you know. And again, we have to have enough rock there that it's stable enough to carry our, our equipment. Our equipment's very, very large. So, you're, you know, I mentioned earlier when you and I were talking that most of our concrete gets delivered in dump trucks, not in a ready-mix truck or a cement mixer, as people like to call them. Yeah. And those dump trucks carry, you know, tens of thousands of pounds of concrete. Yeah, <laughs> you can unload it a lot yeah, faster. Yeah, so we, we open it up and it slides out of the back of the dump truck in a matter of seconds. But so that rock that's there and what's below it has to be strong enough to carry those loads, Yeah, the equipment that's delivering it. And then when we put on top... You know, then the concrete can will do its job. I mean, and then within the concrete, more often than not, we have dowel bars. And again, that's something that we learned back in the 60s that, you know, we cut our concrete in, in panels. We'll saw, saw cut them about every 15 feet. Otherwise, it's going to crack on its own. So mm. mother nature. Mm-hmm. Concrete wants to crack at 15 feet. We'll saw it at 15 feet. Mm. But what happens is if you don't have any sort of load transfer, we call those dowel bars, you travel down the road, and I'm sure everybody's driven on the concrete road and you hear the thump, 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 thump. And that's the panels are moving a little bit. Mm. And what these dowel bars, these load transfer devices do is they we put them at that, at that saw cut, and so it takes the load of the trucks from the panel you're driving on and helps pass it on to the next panel. So they work together to carry that load. Like a transition strip. Right. Yeah. And so that way the panels don't move around. Okay. And again, Minnesota was pretty early on in adopting that. Well, if you, if you drive through a lot of other states, you feel a lot more of that than you do here. 
So if, uh, if I'm driving on a road and I hear that thump noise, chances are there's no dowel bars on right, that road? Right, right. And within the concrete, I'm assuming there's some type of uh, rebar or wire mesh or no? No, no, huh? we don't. Uh, that's old school technology. Huh. Um, again, most of our slabs don't need that. You need steel in a structural situation. Or we'll put steel in if we've got a really soft spot, a swamp that we can't stiffen up. Sure. So we know it's going to sink. So we'll put some some reinforcing steel in there so that we know the concrete's going to sink here and the concrete's going to crack. Mm-hmm. And so the, the rebar will help hold those pieces of concrete together. Um, otherwise, the only other piece of steel in there is, you know, again, I mentioned, you know, we saw the joints every 15 feet as you go, as you're driving down the road. Well, the lanes are typically 12 to 14 foot wide. And we can pave two or three lanes wide at a time. And again, we put a saw cut there or we have a butt joint and tie the next joint on. And we put a one quarter inch, 30 inch long piece of steel every three feet there, hmm. a number four rebar. And all that's there for really is to prevent those two lanes from separating. Oh, okay. So if you ever drive down 35E through Egan, where it's three lanes wide, old school technology, the rule was we could only tie two lanes together. So the third lane was floated. And it's probably almost a four-inch separation between lanes there. So that's all it's there for is to keep those lanes from separating. Otherwise, we don't need it for structural value. You know, this summer I took my Harley out and I was on a concrete road. And they had these um, brushed, almost like brushed grooves in the road that were so deep that it, it caused my back tire to kind of swing around a little bit when I was sure. driving down it. Is is that a common finish then on a lot of these roads where you're kind of like brushing it for, I don't know, traction? I don't know what it's for. Right. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, different states do different things. In Minnesota, we used to do the, the we called it tining, mm. and we called it transverse tining. So we went perpendicular to traffic, and the idea is kind of like a tire tread. Yeah. When you drive on the water, it gives the water somewhere to go. Yeah. So you don't hydroplane. Yeah. And so it would it would give the water somewhere to go. It also drained it. Yeah. Um, but when in, when you had that transverse tining, and especially the spacing we did, we had an inch and a half spacing between each of those tines. It really got un, that's really loud, high pitch whine in your cars. Oh, sure. And so we had so much complaining that the legislature was considering banning concrete. So we had to do something quick. Mm-hmm. And so we did some testing at MnDOT. And we went to just like an AstroTurf drag. So it's like indoor-outdoor carpeting. Mm-hmm. And we drag that behind our concrete. And that just roughens it up enough to make it, the water still has somewhere to go. And we still have skid, good skid numbers. And, and it's quiet. But so what you're, expl- you're, you're talking about could have been one of two things. So some states do that. We, I said we, did, we transverse ty- or transversely. Yeah. Are tining. Some do longitudinal because when they do the longitudinal tine, it went the same direction as the tire tread and it was quieter. Oh. But the problem is, is some of that, you could get that little bit of a pull. Or yeah, something. pull yeah. based on how what your tire tread is. But what, my guess is what you were probably driving on is diamond ground concrete. Oh. So diamond grinding is where we come in. It's like a wood planer. You take a bunch of saw blades and you stack them up next to each other. 
and you drive down the road and you take off an eighth to a quarter inch of the concrete. And again, it takes out that roughness, that thump, thump, thump. Uh-huh. Or if just if you've got a little bit of roughness in there, because as concrete dries out, it shrinks mm. and it curls up ever so slightly. But all that curling makes the road a little rougher. So after 10, 15 years, it really starts to stand out. So they come back in and we grind that off to make the road smooth. But when you, again, if you think of a wood planer, you stack those blades up really tight next to each other and you get a relatively smooth surface on your wood when it comes out. On the concrete, what we do is we space those blades by a 64th of an inch to a 32nd of an inch. Mm. And what happens is that saw cut leaves a little fin there and then that fin breaks off, so it kind of gives you a corduroy texture. Mm. And the problem with that is it's positive texture. It's up in the air. And that, especially when it's fresh, grabs tires and moves yeah. them pretty good. Yeah. And so, again, they're getting better at that. We have ways where we can diamond grind it like we do, like you would a wood, piece of wood, where we have no spacer in there. And we grind it flush, we call it, nice and smooth, mm-hmm. and then come back with a second grind and put a groove in. But that groove is only every three-quarters to an inch. Yeah. And so that wouldn't affect a tire nearly the way the positive texture does. Got it. Now, I've lived in my current house now for a couple of years. It has a concrete driveway, and uh, but there's a lot of pitting and flaking that's occurring. Sure. My assumption was maybe they floated it too much, maybe but there's too much water at the surface and it's kind of flaking off now. But I don't notice that on concrete roads so much. Do you know what's going on with my driveway? And with that, I was told, well, you need to seal it. Do you seal concrete roads at all? Well, let's let's address the uh, the pitting first. Um, I I mentioned the 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 icebergs here mm-hmm. and the the glaciers we had, and uh, not icebergs, yeah. glaciers and. Uh, <laughs> And they left us a, a huge, huge assortment of rock here. Yeah. And with that, it's, it's not perfect. Um, we have, and so again, to keep prices in check, most people go to a reasonably close source for rock or sand. Um, within all of that rock and all of that sand, there's going to be um, imperfect particles. And by MnDOT specs, which every city, almost every city allows, you can have 3% deleterious material. Well, when you figure out how much 3% is deleterious material in a shovel full of sand and in the top half inch of your concrete, how much of that could be in the top half inch? And what happens is they're usually shale particles or clay particles that to get them out is just would be cost prohibitive to get it out of the rock and sand. So whether it's concrete or asphalt, what happens is that clay and shale absorbs water and then it swells and pops. And so in a driveway, when you're walking around, you'll see that. And same thing in the rock. Well, you'll have, well, that's not all little sand pops. Some of them are half inch to an inch big. Yeah. Well, that's the deleterious rock material. So again, it doesn't take a lot of rocks for one of them to get up near the top. Yeah. And so, again, you can seal it all you want. It's going to get exposed to water. Sure. And when it gets exposed to water, it's going to swell and pop. Yeah. We have the same stuff on the freeways or the highways, but when you're going 70, it's tough to see it. Okay. When you walk in a driveway, yeah. and again, you know, people say, well, yeah, but it stands out a lot more in my, in my driveway well, than it does out in the city street, in the asphalt city street. Well, go out and look. 
Yeah. There's plenty of those pops out there too, but it's, it's a lot of it's really exposed, like I said, because it oxidizes. Mm. And people want their concrete driveway finished like it's a, you know, perfect, a basement yeah. or a you know, warehouse floor. And again, it's, it's more often than not, it's just cosmetic. Yeah. It's not going to hurt anything. Again, sealers won't hurt anything, but the biggest problem, 90%, and again, like I said, we do pavements, but we help out anybody that asks. You know, if a ready-mix company asks, asks us to come out and help them with a homeowner or a city engineer calls and says, we have a development that all the driveways are bad mm-hmm. or the curb and gutter is, you know, bad. Mm-hmm. Can you come out and take a look at it? And that, I know concrete. That's my job. Yeah. And so whether it's a pavement or it's a curb and gutter, I'll have a pretty good idea what's going on. And like I said, 90% of what I see where the problems arise is the curing compound. So like I said, concrete is made up of rock and sand, cement and water. Mm. It's really simple. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And, you know, it's like a basic flour, you know, like baking a cake. It's Mm -hmm. tough to screw up unless you don't put your baking soda in. You you miss a little step. And that's what happens on the concrete is people don't cure it. So we mentioned the water-cement ratio, and that's what, what helps keep concrete durable, keeping that water-cement ratio low. But what also you need to do is you need to allow that cement to hydrate. I mentioned that cement will continue to gain strength, or hydrate, that concrete will gain strength for decades, centuries, mm. if it has access to water. So what happens is people place their concrete, and they say, well, we need to let it dry out, and then we'll seal it. The worst thing you can do is let concrete dry out especially in the first day to two days. And so what we recommend always doing is putting a curing compound down. And it's just, you can go to, you know, one of the local material supply stores and get a curing compound. And what that does, it holds the water in. It Mm. doesn't let that top surface dry out. Mm. And so the stronger we can make that top surface, the more durable it gets and the longer it'll last. And it'll, it'll help prevent those pop-outs in the future because if that top dry, dries out, it might start to flake off and now expose that next layer of concrete. Sure, sure. Okay. And so, again, most of these are simple little things that... <laughs> people just don't know. Yeah, you know, they don't know and other people... I mean, and I have a good buddy of mine who's uh, a general contractor, does a lot of concrete work, and he always picks on me, calls me concrete science, and he was pouring a slab for a, a garage he was building down the road from my house. And I went over and had a beer with them. And, you know, they had the power trowel on there making it look all pretty. And I said, you get curing compound going on this? And he looks at me and goes, no. And I, I just shook my head at him. I said, you know, the beginning of the end. <laughs> it's not even a day old. Uh, how long ago was that? Two weeks. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> be interesting to see what it looks like next year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're approaching 44 minutes here. And uh, before I wrap things up, is there anything else that you want to bring up regarding either concrete or the association that you want the listeners no. to hear? Again, our, our big thing is that you know, we, we, we really push, we try and be advocates not only for concrete, um, but also for our, our friends, our family, um, for the taxpayers. And we work a lot with the legislature. Um, we talk about how longer-term investments are going to be a better, wiser economic investment in the long run. Because we keep hearing that we don't have enough money. Well, if we don't have enough money, how are we going to have enough money in 10 years? Right. And so we pushed for the idea of let's, you know, 
let's build a little smarter. Cheaper is not always the best solution. You know, you may spend ten more dollars today to save a hundred dollars over the life. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like things at your house. But these are owned by the public. We're not. We're never going to throw the roads away. Yeah. So short-term investments really aren't a smart idea. And so again, we really and we get more and more people to come around to the idea of a long-term investment is a much wiser investment. We actually have a flyer that we've distributed to the legislators that says if we built MnDOT's whole system out of 50-year solutions, 50-year concrete overlays, we could cut MnDOT's budget in half. Wow. Is that falling on deaf ears or are they listening? It's, again, it's, it's, it's extreme. It's hard for people to get yeah. because, you know, we're so far behind the eight ball now. There's going to be a lot more pain before there's gain. Mm. So, gotcha. and, but again, the public knows this and the public, I think, would rather see people spend their money wisely and deal with a little detour or disruption once, a hard one, one time, mm-hmm. and then be gone for a long time mm-hmm. as opposed to doing this more often. So, True. All right, listeners, check out their website. It is concreteisbetter.com. That's a great domain. Again, that's concreteisbetter.com. It's the uh, Concrete Paving Association of Minnesota. And the guest today, again, is Matt Zeller. He's the executive director over here. Matt, I appreciate your time. You are the concrete mad scientist. And uh, you definitely um, know your skill set. You, you are the right choice for this position, Matt. I appreciate your time and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, thank you. That's it, guys. If you know of a Minnesota business leader or a mover and shaker that you feel would be a great guest, please have them go to minnesotamadepodcast.com and have them apply for the show. Thanks for listening, Minnesota. Minnesota.